At 30 years of age, Darren McAnthony became chairman of Peterborough United in 2006. He was the youngest chairman in the Football League. Since Darren's takeover, the club has enjoyed three promotions, including three seasons in the Championship, but also two relegations, which has since left the club in League One for the fifth year in a row. While winning the Johnson's Payne Trophy, the high of the club, we're going to talk to Darren now about creating more magic moments and what he has in line for the Posh's future. Darren, welcome to the big kickoff. Uh, great to be on. I can't believe you're mentioning relegation. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> well, I, I, I presume, I presume, I presume the fans are are, are are keen to let you know about every negative situation. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be the same if it wasn't like that. So that's quite normal for fans, and uh, you know, you wouldn't have it any other way to be fair. No. Um, listen, obviously. Uh, to be a chairman of a club, you need to have some financial strength. So can you briefly share with us your story from Dublin and all your journey all the way to Peterborough United? Uh, sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, without boring people. Uh, I left Dublin when I was 15. My family moved to the south of Spain. Um, I was educated in the south of Spain. We lived in Marbella. Um, around 22, I opened up my own real estate company. Um, within a short space of time, um, I ended up employing over uh, 1,500 people in about 20 countries worldwide. We sold a lot of property. We did very well. Um, I developed. Um, then, obviously, 08, the crash came. wasn't good for anybody, including, obviously, Ireland. Yeah. Um, obviously, it pretty much uh, it took me out of real estate for a while. I retired to Orlando, Florida in 2000, uh, 2010 um, when I was about 32, 33. And moved my family over there to educate my kids in the States. And I've lived there ever since. In between, obviously, while owning the real estate company, I wanted to get involved in football. Big passion of mine, big Liverpool fan. I couldn't afford to buy Liverpool, so I sat with Peter <laughs> United. And uh, a great way to lose money, and a great way to have fun, and a great way to age you very quickly. I was the youngest chairman at 29.30 in the Football League, youngest owner. I think I still am the youngest owner at 41. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been fun. It's been a ride. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. So... Sky One airs Big Ron Manager. Uh, sure. Do you want to describe, I suppose for anyone who hasn't seen Big Ron Manager, do you want to describe, um, I suppose, what the programme was about and what caught your attention? No, people always think it was because of Big Ron, Ron I bought Peterborough. It's actually, uh, that's, that's false. Um, I was actually negotiating by, quite a, well, two or three clubs at the time, and uh, Peterborough was one of them. And uh, I was in my office in Spain, and the Big Ron Manager was playing on the background. Um, I had Sky in the office. And that was about, obviously, the club needed money. And Big Ron was in there to help. And it was a bit of a car crash TV documentary. Uh, great entertainment, obviously. But, um, from you know, obviously, I saw it on TV. And it, it obviously, it didn't put me off. I knew it was a club. I wanted to buy a club that was in trouble. Um, because I wanted to, you know, rip everything off and go A to Z with new policies, new ideas I have for the football world. Um, based on a lot of statistics. That's why I wanted to get involved. And, uh, and there we are. Yeah, I I briefly watched it again last night just for a little bit of research. About four minutes, 55 seconds into Big Round Manager, Barry Fry says, my advice to anyone is don't buy a football club. Why didn't <laughs> you listen way, to him? <laughs> great way to sell his own club, wasn't it? In fairness, it worked a treat because you came along. Yeah, like I said, you know, I'm I'm a I'm, I'm pretty fearless guy. And at 29.30, you're pretty fearless and dumb at the best of times. Yeah. And, um, you know, it didn't put me up. Like I said to you, I, I didn't want to buy a club that was at a finished product or finished article. I wouldn't have been able to afford to do that. So I needed to buy a club that was pretty much in the doldrums, doldrums needed uh, new energy, 
needed new ideas and uh, that's what I did when I went to Peterborough. Brilliant. When you sat in the chairman's seat for the first time, so you're young, you're going in, this is a dream, everyone plays football manager now and wants to be a, a manager and a chairman and all that sort of stuff. But when you sat in that chair for the first time, what were you thinking? On your own now, what were you thinking? Yeah, no, I was thinking that, you know, this is, this is normal. I mean, people always say, oh, you know, the agents and everything else, but it surprised you. Well, when you've worked in real estate, you know, you, you, you de- you're used to dealing with sharks, so to speak. Um, nothing really surprised me, you know. I'm, I'm in my twenties. I was pretty mature, like I said. I ran a big business from nothing, um, started from nothing. So going into football and sitting there as a chairman, I, to be fair, you know, it's like when you're doing well in life and whatever, and things like that happen. Those moments go by quickly, and you don't sit there and think about how great it is and how wonderful it is. You just, I'm the type of guy that likes to get stuck in. Yeah. I've always prided myself on being the hardest worker in the room, and um, you know that's what I did when I bought Peterborough. What was the long-term plan back in 2006, and how has it worked out? The long-term plan was obviously to get us up the leagues as quick as possible and um, was to devise a scheme and a policy that would mean that eventually I wouldn't have to keep putting money in. The club would be self-sufficient. It was based on young, hungry players and a successful youth academy. Yeah. Um, has it worked out the way I wanted to? No. We, we've taken some bumps along the way. Um, we got close. You know, We had back-to-back promotions. We were in the championship. We were relegated with 54 points, which I think is in the Guinness Book of Records from the championship and last kick of the season. So... Like I said to you, we've had a kick between the legs a, a few times, but nothing that will kill us. And, uh, you know, we're still going strong and our policy still going strong. And we generate a lot of interest in, in our football club because of the style of football we play and the young, talented players we produce. So, you know, my, my goals are as strong as ever. I want to buy the stadium. I want to get us back to the championship. And I want to kick on from there. So, you know, the Premier League dream obviously is massive, but it's been shown with Blackpool and Huddersfield and Bournemouth that it can be done. And it, it can be done without going absolutely crazy. Yeah. The, uh, just you're talking about the youth academy. I was looking at an article there the other day um, with Falkirk and, and Brentford, and there's a few clubs who have decided to stop their academy. Are you seeing sure. bene- are you seeing benefits from your academy? Yeah, 100. percent We've got one of the youngest, you know, most talented players under the age of 20, and Leonardo Silva Lopez. That you know, I could pick up the phone tomorrow and sell him um, for seven figures to a Premier League club. Um, we've produced Jermaine Anderson, another one who was close to moving to Southampton before his ACL injury a couple of years ago. Um, we have sold a couple of youngsters to Premier League. So for us, it's more about can we produce two, three, four players every couple of years for our first team? Yeah. You know, our squad of 20, 22 at the moment probably has five youth academy players as part of it. So we, we are getting there. It's, you know, we're category, obviously, C at the moment, uh, category three, it's called. Yeah. Um, we want to move up to category two, which means more investment from us, and that's something we're doing. We, we've got our own training ground, which is uh, an absolutely fantastic facility, probably better than a lot of League One facilities. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's not done overnight. It's going to take time, but I'd be disappointed in the next three years if we didn't have half of the team coming from the Youth Academy. Great. Um, your working week, what's, what's it like for a chairman, like especially one who lives in America? Well, in January and August, I spend a lot of time in the UK where I am here at the moment, and there's a lot of moving parts going on. And, you know, like the last five or six days have been nonstop madness since we beat Aston Villa. Um, <laughs> you know, we're trying to bring in players. There are our, our top clubs after some of our talents. So it's it's basically a lot of liaison with Barry Fry. I deal with a lot of agents myself. Um, you know, we deal with a lot of clubs. And it's making sure the manager has the goods and what he wants by the end of January for the final run-in for hopefully a big promotion push. Right. Um, when I'm in America... I've got other stuff I do apart from football, but I spend a good two, three, four hours a day on Peterborough United business. So it's not just the day-to-day stuff of, of, of playing games on Saturdays or Tuesdays. It's the youth academy, it's stadium, it's, it's commercial. It's, it's all those things that go into running a business. And when you're an owner of a club, you pretty much do it for free. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, match day, what do you do and how are you at watching games? Uh, I'm a pretty superstitious guy. I'm a terrible person to watch the game. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm aggressively nervous. I didn't, think, um, I didn't think superstition and business head went together. They do for me. Uh, I've always <laughs> been that way. I'm probably very OTD. Um, I don't do interviews or any press on a match day. I've always been superstitious because something happened in the first year I, I bought the club. Um, so, I, you know, a match day, if, if it's a home game, I'll get to the ground at 12, 1230. I'll watch the early game that's on on Sky or BT in my office. Um, I'll have a lunch, a few coffees in there. I'm not one of those that socializes with the away directors. I don't like sitting down for lunch. I like to be in my own office. The manager will come in. We'll have a chat. Um, you know, if there's agents, if there's friends, if there's people, scouts, I know they'll come in for a chat. Then we watch the game. Then if we win or lose, obviously the door in my office gets either torn off or put back together. So it's, ba- it's, it's a bad it's weekend a, for the family, is it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously in America it's terrible because I watch the games live from my office at 10 a.m. out in America. Yeah. And it's finished by 12, so it can really spoil your weekend if it doesn't go to plan. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know that feeling. <laughs> uh, listen, in the Premier League, there's, a, I suppose, the seasonal... Uh, panic sackings by clubs who are, I suppose, not in a position they'd like to be. Sorry, buddy, I missed that last bit there, wouldn't you? I said in the Premier League, there is seasonal panic sackings by clubs who are, I suppose, not in a position that they'd like to be in. Uh, Now, you've had to let go of a few managers. Uh, From a chairman's point of view, uh, can you talk us through the decisions that have to be made, the emotions involved, what are the key indicators, and I suppose, what have you learnt from uh, previous situations? Yeah, look, I, I've always said it's, it's, it's the most horrible job in the world. I wouldn't advise anyone to become a football manager or a coach. It's not good for your families. The life expectancy is probably 11 months, um, which isn't good for a job. No. Um, it's tough. It's great when you're higher up the pyramid and you get fired and paid big money. When you're lower down the pyramid, it's, it's very tough. There's only 72 jobs in the Football League. Um, you know, you, we probably go through, what, 60% of those change every year. Um, so trying to, trying to you know, keep a manager and a bit of consistency and because, you know, when a club's got a policy and a philosophy, you want whoever you employ to, to maintain that and continue it and obviously prosper. Um, if you change manager, it's tough to make that call. Do you do it at the end of a season? Do you do it during the season? Some people pull the trigger. Some people panic. So, you know, I've had my manager now for, what, 18 months. Hmm. He's done well. Yeah. Um, could he have done better? Yes, he's a young manager. So I'm working with him all the time. I've got a good relationship. But... He's not, he's not naive either. He knows that at the end of the day, promotion's a, a must for us. and We have to challenge. So at the moment, we're challenging. We'd like to be a bit closer to the pack. But, you know, there's 20-odd there's games left and not a good cup run, but we must focus on the league now. So it, it, it's a horrible business for that. And, and unfortunately, I tend to do it myself. I don't let anyone else fire managers. I'll call the managers myself and talk them through with it because I think they deserve the respect for that. Yeah. Um, and I've gone through a few managers in my time. You make mistakes when you recruit people and, you know, they do an interview and they a lot of lip service. Yeah, we're buying into what the club does. And then they come in and within four months, they want to do everything differently and not what the club policy is. And that sometimes can lead to issues. So a really important relationship is between the manager and the owner or chairman of a football club. Yeah. And if you don't have that relationship, you're goosed as a manager, in my opinion. Communication. So I, I, yeah, I tend to be very close to all the managers that work for me. Uh, I've watched a couple of interviews with Grant McCann, uh, your manager. And I have to say, I'm a fan of his controlled demeanour. Is he always like that? Yeah, he's a pretty calm guy. It must be the Irish blood. Um, (laughs) He's pretty calm most of the time. He's got that temper on him. He was a great player and captain for us, a great leader. I think he inspires from from mass. I don't think he's a ranter and a raver. Um, You know, we get on very well. Yes, we've had disagreements, as you will do with anybody that works for you. Um, 
but he's somebody that, you know, I've got a lot of belief in him and, and we're trying to, you know, get him evolving and becoming better as a manager all the time. And as I said, he's 18 months into it. It's, it's, it's a tough gig for him, you know. He's, he's a young guy, 36, 37. He works for a pretty hard taskmaster. And, you know, our fans and me, we all expect success, promotion and, and fairy tale football. So for your first job in football, he, he's done well. What makes a good manager? Uh, what makes a good manager? I think somebody who's level-headed. I think somebody who's not overly emotional. I think somebody who's got perspective and overview of what a club's all about, not just his own views on football and his own philosophy. Somebody who'll listen. Um, somebody who d- doesn't mind hearing opinions from people higher up in a football club. I'm not saying you have to control the manager. Somebody who's decisive. Um, somebody who has you know authority about them, the way they deal with a manager, or the way they will deal with a player, or whether it's a good player or a bad player or a different player. Somebody who's got discipline. Um, somebody with a great work ethic. And somebody with belief. You know, that no matter if they're managing Peterborough or Real Madrid, that they're going to have to win every football game. Yeah. And definitely somebody with an attacking uh, philosophy. You know, I'm, I'm not one of those who wants to see my team play counter-attacking football to win 1-0 or grind out 0-0 at, at, at tough away ties. So Martin O'Neill won't be getting the job? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know Martin very well. But I, won't, I won't go there. Uh, listen, uh, Barry Fry is still there. Um, yeah. Larger than life character. What, what's his role? He's brilliant. Barry's worked for me now for 11 years. He's director of football, technical director, you would call it, at, at bigger clubs. He's one of the best in the business. He knows everybody in the football league. Um, there isn't anybody in the game he can't ring to do a deal with. Um, he plays a great role for the club. and uh, He's a great support base for the manager. He's very involved with the youth academy. And you'll never meet a 72-year-old who's got as much energy as a 22-year-old. <laughs> um, yeah, and I have to say, I, mean, I think the younger generation now will see Barry Fry on YouTube and per- <laughs> perceive him as that... I seen a clip on, on Facebook the other day and I had a, a clip of football in the 90s and it's a clip of sure. Barry Fry ranting and raving. All right, but that, sure. I'm sure football wasn't always like that. But uh, sure. good no. lad, yeah. Uh, He's mellowed. Mellowed, good. But everyone does with age. <laughs> uh, Twitter, tell me about it. Is, is it a good idea or a bad idea that you're so, uh, there's so much communication with you and the fans? I think it's a great idea. Um, I'm very honest, very direct. I think I can cut through the, the bull S and the nonsense that's out there. I can shoot down rumours, gossip, speculation. It gives fans direct, direct access to me. Um, anyone who's issues or problems, I tend to answer a lot of questions, probably too many questions. Um, I can get over emotional early on. I did. I'm not as bad nowadays. I try and be very careful about what I tweet, particularly after a result. Um, anyone who's got a problem with it, that's their issue, not mine. Yeah. Um, I just think it's a great communication tool. I think all owners should be on Twitter. Yeah, well, you, you, you know, you always have the fans that there's, there's logical fans and there's uh, emotional fans and you're going to get more emotional fans on Twitter, aren't you? Yeah, and trolls. So you're going to get a good mix on there and I like to bat the trolls away. I think I played them quite well. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, it's the old saying in life, sticks and bones may break my bones, you know, but <laughs> yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me, some of the stuff. So I'm, I'm quite humorous on Twitter. So anyone who finds a bit of banter and a bit of fun, team like one or two on Twitter, that's where it's at. Um, Obviously, it's a January transfer window, so this is a, a huge uh, month for, for you and, and every other club. But what role, what role do you play in transfers? The most important role, the person who says yes or no. <laughs> so, you know, it's my checkbook, it's my money. Um, I, we have a transfer committee of me, Barry, and the manager. We come up with the players. And we collectively come to a decision who we're bidding for. We've put bids in this month. We're expected to bring in three or four. We've brought one in already. Um, there's massive interest in obviously our players. There always is. We've got 
you know, obviously Jack Marriott next to Harry Kane is the leading goal scorer in the country. Yeah. You've got Marcus Madison, he's got 25 odd assists. He's the best young attacking midfielder outside the Prem. So that's always going to happen at Peterborough. Obviously, the phone calls are non stop on those players. And after they took Aston Villa to the cleaners on Saturday, the phone's been obviously busy. So yeah. if a player goes, that's my decision. But the one thing I always do is replace players, and we always bring in more. So, but are, at the moment, my, my favourite one has been no. Just looking at comments from fans. Are you a selling club? Well, I think it's, and, and don't take this the wrong way, that's a naive question because every football club's a selling club. Yeah, but I think Man, you know Man what I mean, United, though. Are, 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 you looking to, are, you look, are you looking to sell a player to, and, and obviously with your academy, to bring more players up, so it more likely to sell? Or, like, let, let's say with Jack Marriott, he's obviously scoring you the goals now at the moment. Without him there, would that push fall apart well we didn't have Jack Marriott in June so okay. you know and, and I went out and I spent half a million quid on him not many League One clubs with gates under 5,000 people spend half a million pounds on a young striker Yeah, uh, Peterborough United do consistently so people questioned why I went out and bought him um, because he wasn't he wasn't knocking on the door in the Luton team at the time but we knew the potential we in five six months the manager has got the potential out of him and he is electric and he's a greyhound he's one of the quickest strikers in the league and he's now prolific. So a player like him, one of the things we say to players when we go and buy them and they choose us over other clubs is, is that we will never stand in the way of the right deal is for the club and the player. Yeah. So if I were to turn down a, a, a bid um, eventually from a massive club where they could go and pay him 20 times more money he's on per week, that causes a problem in my dressing room. So yeah. it's a fine line, a fine balance. Yeah. Um, are we a selling club? Like I said, every football club's a selling club. Yeah. And a club with our gates and whatever else, with our aspirations to go further, we always have to do a bit of business. Doesn't mean we need the money in January. No, we don't, because I pay the bills. Great. So if we do it in the summer, we do it in the summer. So there is no rush and no pressure to sell Jack or anybody else. So Great. That, an- that answers that one then. So, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Joe, uh, Joe Ward, what does he bring to the squad? He brings pace. He brings dynamicism. He brings assists. He brings goals. He brings youthful exuberance. Um, he will bring uh, a steely mentality of young and hungry from where he's come from, so he's got a point to prove. He will blend in well with our young players. He's everything we want in a young player. Uh, that was solid business we've done there as well. And He'll be one of them in a year or two years. People will be saying, you know, are you selling Joe Ward for millions? Because that's what we expect when we bring in these young players that we scout and, and make sure they're right for us. Yeah, yeah, good. Time off, do you get much time off? No, I, well, I like to go on holiday. Um, I always with the family in the summer we go away on a big trip but uh, in February I usually bring my missus away I'll probably bang off for 10-11 days in February with my missus just me and her leave the kids at home and uh, because I'm in the UK for a good 2-3 weeks without the family so it's always kind of you, you're playing catch up and you've got to make it up for the family Right, good yeah well listen most important thing is your family so you, 100% you know. uh, future for the club future for the club bright good prosperous um, I see promotions, hopefully Wembley trips, and uh, I see good things happening. Do you have a um, stadium? Is there any, I've seen something about uh, looking at uh, maybe buying or, 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 or building or, or purchasing a new stadium, is that true? We're in negotiations to buy our current stadium that we're paying outrageous lease on, so okay. that's kind of ongoing. I can't say a lot about it, but we are in negotiations. Good. Uh, listen, League of Ireland, do you scout much in the League of Ireland? All the time, okay. all the time. We've obviously brought Forrester over. Yeah. Um, we just brought O'Malley over in the summer. We've had previous Irish players over on trial. Um, we're, we've always got our finger on the pulse. 
I've got a friend over there who does the scouting for me. Um, I did the Forrester deal myself a couple of years ago. Best 50 grand I ever spent over there. <laughs> um, you know, Mali came over in the summer for just uh, a little bit short of 100 grand. Um, he's going to be probably a, a top, top young goalkeeper in the English league in the future. It's a fine balance. Some of the Irish lads that we've had over from the youth academy, they get homesick quickly. There have been issues. So yeah. we're always, we, we, we probably spend more analysing scouting an Irish player than, say, a non-league player in England because of the issues we've seen in the past. Okay, right, yeah. Um, Great ob- talent in that league, though. Obviously, and it's, it's, the standard is, is, is rising all the time, so it's, it, is, it, it, it is a good well to fish in. Um, listen, I, I sent you three things there. Uh, the yep. under, under my cards, or under my skin card, the thumbs up card, and the puzzles card. Did you get that email there? Yeah? I got it. So <laughs> okay. go. Go under my skin card, under my skin. What gets under your skin? Uh, the money paid to under-21 players in football, higher up, lower down, Premier League youngsters, some of them on 20, 30, 40 grand a week. Yes. I've said it for years, there needs to be a cap until they're 20 years of age and what they can earn, um, because I think it, it, it helps breed um, level-headed young men, as opposed to people who are 19, 20, you think that, that you know, they're top of the world and no one can touch them, and, and, and sometimes the character development that happens when they have too much money too soon. Yeah. So that needs to change. Oh, I've seen... Uh, um, uh, the, an article there's a Manchester City player who, who's only played in the, the Caribou Cup and he's buying a house for two and a half million easy where, 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 where do you get your determination from then so the that's hunger a, there is a, no hunger no. Uh, thumbs up card love the NFL in America I'm a big fan of the, of the, of the flag system the coaches get a two flag uh, yes. challenge is a big thing in VAR at the moment in the UK yeah. I think it could be simplified I think each manager gets two flags to put in over a, a penalty incident or a, over an offside goal. Yeah. Um, simple as, once their challenges are up, they can't challenge anymore. VR, VAR can't be used. In America, they have it. It's a brilliant system that works very effectively. We were talking to Killian Sheridan just before Christmas. They have the VAR system in Poland and yeah. he can't say enough good things about it. And yeah. he says, the amount of times people keep saying to me that the game's going to stop, it's going to break up the rhythm. He says, it doesn't. The game is naturally broken up anyhow. So he says... Correct. And, and, and you, can, you can bring the fans in, you can use big screens, you can advertise those big screens, more revenue for the clubs, you can get everyone involved. I think it's, it's, it's thrilling, it's exciting. So I see, I see it as a good thing. Puzzled. What are you puzzled about? Um, Ireland not getting to any World Cups recently. <laughs> yes. Very frustrating. Can, um, can I share my thoughts before you go on with sure. your little Bristol City were playing Manchester City the other night. This, yeah. stu- this stuck with me. I watched the game. Bristol That's City... Good goal, didn't they? Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And a great advertisement for, for uh, the championship. But what surprised me most was how they went about it, how they pressed, how they worked as a team and showed that Average players, if that's what you want, um, that's the wrong word, but a- average players playing against world-class players, as in Ireland against Germany or Ireland against whoever, it's the same... Denmark. It's, yeah, Denmark. <laughs> Do not talk about Denmark. Uh, same thing. So I, I, I don't... I, we have had a lot of stuff with Ireland where uh, we were told that we're, we're not good enough to play football, we're not good, we, we, we have to play in a certain way, and I don't get it. Two, two things are an issue for me with the Irish football the last few years, and no disrespect to Martin or anyone else involved. Um, it was quite obvious, you know, the Euro campaign from before, they did okay, they did well, last 16 or whatever it was, um, that it was an ageing squad. Yeah. And a lot of players needed to be put out to pasture and retired. And sometimes you have to be ruthless in doing that. And you just knew their legs weren't there to make this campaign a successful one. Um, that's a big thing for me. 
Um, the second thing to me is the approach to games. It's the way we set up, the way we play. Yeah. It's, you know, it's worked well for Northern Ireland. Um, you know, stay tight, stay deep, try and nick a goal. You know, a little bit of what happened against Wales, and that worked for us in the playoffs. But yeah. when you do it over 10 or 12 games, it's uninspiring. It sends out the wrong message. Um, it's just, for me, it's like you talked about Bristol City and the press and playing with a bit of belief and playing on the front foot, you know, making our home ground one of those places where it's tough to come and get a result, but we're going to win and win with a bit of passion style. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And uh, when you see Iceland and other nations go out and do it, um, why can't Ireland do it? Yeah, I, I, I think it just, our players get a raw deal, I think. You know, I think under the Trapatoni reign, he put us down a lot. I think Martin O'Neill, while we were all under the great belief, and we can do it because we've seen it when Ireland played France under Trapatoni, how they can play brilliant football. Correct. We've seen Ireland in the European Championship uh, when they put it to teams that we can do it. So, yeah, I think just I think we need to have more belief in ourselves. Um, more belief, fail campaign, and not good enough. Yeah, correct. Um, Wigan at the weekend. Yeah, tough game. Um, you He's, know, obviously big team in the league. We beat them at our place. Not a lot of teams go out to attack them. We'll probably try and attack them. That leader work really well, or it'll be a disaster. Yeah, well, uh, you've beat them this year already, didn't you? Yeah, they were at our place. They were two one up. And uh, our, our up, and we, we beat them three two at our place. Brilliant. Listen, I have nothing but admiration for you. You're a sound lad, and I really, really hope. Might be hard this year. You playoffs. You might get through the playoffs. I doubt you get through the top two. What do you think? Uh, you know, it, it's tough. We've got to go on a series run. We've got to win seven, eight, nine games in a row. Yeah. Ourselves in with a chance. Don't ever bet against the posh. Nothing's impossible. <laughs> Listen. Correct. Dara, we'll have a go. Dara, you're a gent. Uh, I'll be no keeping problem. an eye out for all the results and we might even pop over sometime. Thank you very much. Thanks. Man. Enjoy your day. Appreciate it. Yeah, say hello to your viewers. Cheers. All the best. Thanks, Dara. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.